Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 4th, 2019. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Doctrine of Perseverance, Conditional Security. Brother Omar says that the Christian faith is an abiding, continuing, present tense faith and not a one-time event. Brother Omar says that abiding in Christ, we must preserve in the faith to the end and run the race that is set before us. Join us as we conclude our study on the doctrine of perseverance here on Followers of the Way. We've been talking about the issue of losing your salvation, once saved, always saved, and all that stuff. We cover whatever I could cover last time on, on the issue from the perspective of the people who believe that a Christian cannot fall away from the faith and be lost, etc. And so this week, or today, we're going to look at the opposite view. This would hopefully be the last sermon on this, um, and then we'll move on. But I'll try to cover as much as I can with the time that we've got. Basically, the idea, as I said before, of... The doctrine of eternal security is once a believer is regenerate, that person can never fall away. Now, we talked about the two different views, the people who believe in this whole two, which is essentially the idea that a person can be saved, and even if he were to fall back into a sinful life or abandon the faith or whatever, he will remain saved, that that would not affect their salvation. The other view um, is that the true believer, the true saint, uh, will never completely 100% fall away. And if he does, then that proves that he was never, this person was never saved to begin with. Okay, those are the two main views of the people who believe that a Christian cannot lose his salvation. On the other side, you have Christians who do believe that a person can fall away and lose his salvation. Now, the once saved, always saved view is the most popular view today in evangelical Christianity. I gave you a list of people who believe in this, guys like Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindle, etc. Nevertheless, this argument, and we were talking a little bit about it last time, is an issue that happens within the Christian faith. Okay, two believers who love the Lord can agree to disagree on this issue. And we do have several issues or doctrines in the Christian faith that you will find disagreement. Okay, if you've been around long enough, you know there's some people believe there's going to be a rapture. Some people believe that there's not going to be a rapture. Some people believe in, you know, a tribulation is going to happen, this and that. Christians can disagree within certain parameters about certain teachings and about certain doctrines. Again, they can still be Christians, okay? Now, nevertheless, there are some folks who take this stuff a little bit seriously, okay? And arguments can go back and forth. We know, uh, for example, Charles Stanley, who wrote a book on it, he says that the very gospel itself comes under attack when the eternal security of the believer is questioned, or that the very foundations of Christianity begin to crumble once we begin tampering with the eternal security of the believer. So there are people who are very passionate about these teachings. They write books on it, etc. So what I want to do today is I want to give you uh, what I believe is the biblical position on the issue. I believe that a Christian can fall away from the faith and be lost. Uh, and also point out that this is not some new teaching or something that some weird people teach. This is actually the historical position of the church. The idea that a regenerate person can fall away from the faith and be lost is the historical teaching pretty much prior to John Calvin. Okay, so I have some quotes here from early church fathers. Let me explain to you, we've covered this before. The apostles died, 
okay? And then you have some folks who carry on the message of the apostles all the way up to 300 years in, you have the Council of Nicaea and St. Augustine. We cover all of this before, okay? Between Council of Nicaea and the Apostles, there's 300 years of church persecution. Those 300 years are known as the early church fathers period. Because you got folks, church leaders who rose up, wrote, they wrote books, defending the Christian faith, defending certain doctrines. We have those writings and those folks are known as, as the early church fathers, okay? So I'm going to give you a quote from a guy named Irenaeus. Irenaeus was the spiritual son of a guy named Polycarp. So you got Irenaeus. You got Polycarp. Polycarp was the spiritual son of a guy named the Apostle John. So you have the Apostle John, Polycarp, Irenaeus. So you have one generation removed from an actual apostle. Okay? Irenaeus says this, Those who do not obey him, being disinherited by him, have ceased to be his sons. So Irenaeus teaches on the possibility that a Christian who falls away or does not continue in the faith can be disinherited by Christ and cease to be his son. Okay? Irenaeus goes on to say, It is not those who are on the outside that he said these things to, but to us, lest we should be cast forth from the kingdom of God by doing any such thing. We should fear ourselves, lest perchance we, who have come to the knowledge of Christ, if we do things displeasing to God, we obtain no further forgiveness of sins, but are shut out from his kingdom. And for that reason, Paul said, he did not spare the natural branches. Take heed also, he may not spare you. Now he was quoting Romans 11. Justin Martyr, again, same time period, says, the eternal fire has been prepared for him as he apostatized from God of his own free will, and likewise for all who remain unrepentant in the apostasy. And so just because these guys believe in something doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical, okay? I'm not saying that this, is, this proves that the doctrine is right, but I'm saying that this is an idea or a teaching that has been around for a very long time and has been held by Christians throughout history as far back as the early church period. St. Augustine says, if, however, being already regenerate and justified, he relapses of his own will into an evil life, assuredly he cannot say, I have not received, because of his own free choice to evil, he has lost the grace of God that he had received. And so you have, from the early church period all the way through Augustine, Aquinas, and all of that, to Martin Luther, all of these men held and believed that a Christian or a person who is regenerate if he goes back to a life of sin, he will lose the grace of God and fall away. Okay? Now, just because the doctrine is popular, just because the doctrine is traditional, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's biblical. Okay? We believe in the Bible. We don't believe in tradition. We don't believe in popularity. Okay? And so, we're going to go to the scriptures to see why is it that there are some people who believe that a Christian can fall away from the faith. All right? So in John chapter 10, we're going to go back to when we started last time. We went through, last week we went through several verses and several scriptures in the Bible that seem to teach or are used to teach that a believer cannot fall away. Okay? Now, or that he cannot be separated from the love of Christ, etc. We went through all those scriptures, so we're going to go back to them. John chapter 10, uh, verse 27, says this, My sheep... Hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of my Father's hand. So, last time we covered this verse, and we explained that the people who teach that you cannot fall away from the faith will say that this proves, you know, if you have been given to the Father, that no one can snatch you out of His hand. The thing that you have to understand is that all the promises that we have of security, of salvation, of, you know, being in the love of Christ, are promises given to believers and those who are at that time following Christ. The Bible doesn't give any assurance to people who have, are not following Christ or that may have stopped following Christ at some point. So all the blessings that you have, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So if you're a sheep who hears the voice of Christ and you follow him, you will have eternal life and you will never perish. What the text does not say is that if you stop following Christ, would these blessings still apply to you? And that's the key when understanding this issue that a lot of people don't understand. So the promises of security, the promises of being uh, protected and whole by Christ are given, provided that the person is in Christ and is following Him. John chapter 15. Let me see. Let me show you that. This is the parable of the true vine. This is a parable Jesus gives, and He says this: "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you." Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you cannot do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done to you. So the key here is this. Jesus says, first of all, he is the true vine. So he's given an illustration. He is the true vine. His father is the vine grower. His father removes every branch in me. Notice the branches are in him. These are not branches that are outside laying in the floor. The branches are in him. Any branch in him that does not bear fruit, then the Father cuts it out and throws it into the fire. But any branch that is in him, okay, and bears fruit, then the Father prunes it so it can bear more fruit. So the condition is, or what Jesus is telling his disciples is that you have to abide in me to bear fruit, okay? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and I abide in His love. I have said these things to you, so that you, your jo- my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. So, the condition, whether we like that word or not, but the Bible, there is a conditionality for us to be in Christ and 
have all this security that he gives us is conditioned upon us abiding in him. He is divine, we are the branches. The Father is divine grower. He removes any branch in me, like I said, that is in Christ, not outside of Christ, that does not bear fruit. So to bear fruit, we must abide in him and we abide in him by keeping his commandments. Okay, now this text is clearly speaking to Christians, those who are abiding in Christ. Okay, not to believers outside of the faith or fake believers, but the exhortation is that we must persevere in Christ. If not, we will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's a conditionality to the blessing. Okay, um, Matthew 18, 32 is the parable of the unforgiven servant. Um, the story here is that a, a master forgives a servant, and the servant refuses to forgive the people who wronged him. So he, he was forgiven, but he refuses to forgive. Matthew 18, 32 says this, Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Notice that the unforgiven servant was also forgiven. The master had forgiven him, and yet he refused to forgive the other as a result he was thrown into prison and tortured. And Jesus warns, so will my heavenly Father, says, says Jesus, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive from your heart. So you can be forgiven, but if you do not forgive or you are a person who has, you know, who's hard, who doesn't want to forgive others, your salvation may be at play. Now all these warnings, again, is given to Jesus' disciples. So Jesus' teaching is that we have all these great blessings in Him and in Christ, provided that we abide in Him. He gives us exhortations and warnings, this is just a few of them, for us to continue abiding in Him and to continue in the faith to receive all these blessings. Now, this is the teachings of Jesus when He was on earth, right, before dying on the cross, ascending unto heaven, coming down, sending down his Holy Spirit. So some people may attribute these writings of Jesus to a previous dispensation. Okay, this is what Jesus says, but we're now on the church age where the Holy Spirit has come down, we have a new covenant, and things are different. Okay, so we're going to go to the writings of the Apostle Paul to see if the Apostle Paul also, his teaching was compatible with the teaching of Jesus. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Verse 24 says this, Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body or discipline my body and enslave it 
so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Okay, so Paul gives us a parable or an illustration. He's talking about running a race, like an athlete, right? When an athlete runs a race, he's disciplined his body. He doesn't eat donuts all the time. He keeps a diet. He is disciplined, etc. Okay? He exhibits self-controlled. Athletes do these to obtain a perishable trophy. Okay? But Paul says, you do the same thing, but you will obtain an imperishable one. So what is the imperishable trophy that, the, that Paul is talking about? A couple of chapters later, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. He says this, What am I saying, brothers and sisters, is this, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must, must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So he begins by saying, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh and blood is that which is perishable. The kingdom of God, or our salvation, is what is imperishable. So Paul is saying, run to win, like the athletes run to win something that is perishable. We are running for something that is imperishable, which is the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, I myself, Paul, okay, I discipline myself, I enslave my body, so after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Okay? Now, the word here, disqualified, is an interesting word, and it's the exact same word that is used in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says this. You don't have to go there. It says, and, says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. In other words, Romans chapter 1 is saying, when people, to unbelievers, are sinful, and the Holy Spirit works and works and works on them, and they continue to refuse God, the Holy Spirit gives them over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, an unqualified mind. That is the same word that Paul is using when he says that I myself should not be disqualified. In other words, that I myself should not be like those unbelievers who are abandoned by God. So, Paul is giving you a condition here for our salvation. Run the race that you may win it. See, the important thing about a race is how you finish, not how you start it, not what happened along the way, is how you finish the race. You may have started late, you may have fallen down in, in the race a couple of times, and you got up. Some guy may have started awesome. The guy next to you may have started like, damn, you're like, no, that dude's going to make it. It doesn't matter how you start or the middle. What matters, the Apostle Paul, is that you have to run to win and that you actually run to win it. So what matters in the Christian life is not necessarily how you started, how you've been. 
is what you're going to do from now on. See, so the idea is run your race, not aimlessly. He says, I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body, I enslave it, I discipline so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. And I believe he means lost, okay? Galatians chapter 5. I got to move quick. I got 15 minutes, 15 minutes. All right, Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Listen, I, Paul, I'm telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, the book of Galatians It's written to people or Christians at the time who were tempted or being influenced to go back to the law, to the keeping of the law. So they have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Some folks had come along and said, nope, that's not enough. You can't just be some Gentile and believe in Jesus and be saved. You got to go back. You have to keep the law. You have to get circumcised. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to do all these things. Paul says, if you go back and you think that you can rely on the law for salvation, then you have been cut off from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. Okay? Number one, you cannot fall away from a place that you have never been. Okay? Our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you try to be justified by the works of the law, then you will fall away from grace. And Paul says, you have been cut off from Christ. Now, Martin Luther writes in his commentary on Galatians, he says this. He says, that means that you're no longer in the kingdom or condition of grace. When a person on board a ship falls into the sea and is drowned, it makes no difference from which end of or side of the ship he falls into the water. Those who fall from grace perish no matter how they go about it. Those who seek to be justified by the law are fallen from grace and are in grave danger of eternal death. The words, you have fallen from grace, must not be taken lightly. They are important. To fall from grace means to lose the atonement, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness, liberty, and life, which Jesus has merited for us by his death and resurrection. To lose the grace of God means to gain the wrath and judgment of God, death, the bondage of the devil, in everlasting condemnation. That's Martin Luther's. Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians. The reason simply this, because the law cannot justify you. That's why Christ had to die. And if you go back from Christ to the law, you go back from Christ to the law. You go back from something that justifies and saves to something that cannot justify and save you. Paul says there's a possibility for a Christian to do that. And if you do, then you will fall from grace. So the doctrine that I'm defending is simply this. All believers are secure in their salvation and are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus and not by works. But true faith produces works, okay? We're not to just simply live a life of faith without works, without being obedient. But the faith that is genuine produces works and is also a faith that must continue. Okay, we've talked about this. You cannot just say, I walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus today. Go back to live your life, right? 
and expect 20 years later of living a sinful life to still be a Christian. We talked about that. This is a persistent, continuing, present tense faith in God. The believer is secure in his salvation provided that he remains a believer. And there is a conditionality for salvation, even if people do not like that language, but the Bible seems to show that there is a condition for salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. So the things that he says are true for you, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim, unless you have come to believe in vain. So all the you know, the good news that he proclaimed in which you stand and by which you are being saved will be true, conditionated upon you holding firmly to the message that he proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. Now, notice the condition. All of this is true if you hold firm. Um, there are some people who hearken to the phrase, unless you believe in vain, to say that that shows that those who fall away were never saved to begin with, meaning unless you believe in vain means, oh, if you fell away, it's because you never believed. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. It will be by saying, uh, I did all this work in vain. doesn't mean that you never worked, right? So unless you believe in vain means that you believed, but you just didn't keep on believing, and therefore you believed in vain. You, you, you shouldn't have even started. You did all that believing in vain if you didn't continue holding firm. I think that's what he's saying. And so, again, language of conditionality it's in my opinion shows that there is a, a condition or a, or a conditionality for us as Christians to have faith and be secure in our salvation. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. There's more conditions there. Now, there's a key text. Number one, we have a condition, if we hold our first confidence true to the end. Okay? Um, and then we have a description of how sin might impact our faith. See, we're not saved by faith and kept by works. We're saved by faith, we're kept by faith. But notice what he says, um, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if he goes back, if you go back, he says, take care, brothers and sisters. Now, this is the people who, he, who he's talking to. He's talking to brothers and sisters. That none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so sin hardens your heart, and a hardened heart turns away from God because it ceases to believe. That's how sin affects your faith. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but take heed 
that you may not have an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God because you have been deceived by the, or hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Wherever sin is, it will harden your heart. And a hardened heart will start to turn away, turn away from the living God until it eventually loses its faith. So that is the warning. That is the exhortation. Also, with the, ex with, with the warning comes an exhortation, which is the fellowship of believers is a means to keep us in the faith and from losing our faith or salvation. Okay? He says, take care brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Fellowship and of believers keeps us in the faith. Exhort one another as long as it is called today. This is why fellowship with believers is important. Notice I said fellowship and not just going to church. He is saying, encourage, and, and, and back then it was every day. Encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. So as long as it's called today, every day, exhort one another, so that way none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay? So this is, this is similar Okay, to what James says, James chapter 5, verse 13, in the book of James. You have a similar thing that James is saying. He says, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So you have a language here. Number one, um, this is addressed to believers. He's encouraging them to pray for one another, to take care of each other's needs, to you know, provide for each other, etc. But then he says that if anybody wanders from the faith and you bring that person back, that you will save that soul from death and you will cover a multitude of sins. And so the fellowship of the saints, okay, is a means to preserve the salvation of the saints. And the possibility, it seems to me here, that a believer could fall away and be lost because the language that he uses, it says, Whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So bringing a soul or preventing a soul from death, I believe, is preventing a soul from being lost. Okay, so this is just a couple of verses that shows that at the very least, those of us who believe in this idea that a Christian can fall away from the faith have reasons to believe it. Okay, 
not because of tradition or not, but simply because the Bible, like I said, has this language of conditionality. Now, there are folks, okay, who hold to a Christian cannot fall away from the faith, and they will interpret these verses as being uh, relevant to people who were never saved to begin with, okay? That's a legit position. I respect that position. I don't see that in the text, but they do. But like I said a couple of weeks ago, in practice, it looks the same, so, right? You, you persevere in the faith. If you fall away, you're lost. You may not have ever been saved to begin with, but that's in practice, it encourages Christians to continue in the faith, okay? And the church also as a, as a body of Christ to, in our fellowship, exhort one another to continue in the faith, all right? And so I'll finish with this. A Christian can and often do, in many cases, fall into sin, all right? What I don't want people to think is I'm saved, I sin. I'm going to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? The Bible does teach that a faith needs to be present tense. It needs to be continuing. It needs to be abiding. If a Christian falls into sin, there is mercy and there is grace. We just read texts that say if anyone wanders from the faith and somebody brings him back, his sins are going to be forgiven, okay? There is mercy and grace with God, and His grace is available. Jesus told his disciple, if a brother sins against you seven times a day, and he comes to you repenting seven times a day, then you forgive him seven times a day. And so, if you, in your walk with Christ, and in running your race, you keep stumbling and falling, but you keep getting up, there's grace available to you. So I don't want you to think, I did something, I'm hopeless. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? But the Bible does teach that you must continue persevering in the faith, and if you do so, then you shall be secured in the arms of Jesus. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So your salvation that is waiting to be revealed in the last day and your inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled, is kept in heaven for you and protected by the power of God through faith. Okay, so the admonition is keep your faith. If you keep your faith, that is the condition that holds everything else together for you. And so keep your faith. The book of Jews says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Abide in Him. You will bear fruit, which eventually will yield your salvation. Okay, so... That's the message, and this, this is the last sermon on this, okay? So what I want you to get out of this is simply this. The Christian faith is continuous, is present, is active, is not in the past, it's in the present, and it's going towards the future. 
And as the church, like he says, the fellowship of the church, our work together is to encourage and exhort one another to continue in the faith. And if anybody starts wandering, to try to bring him back as much as we can. And if somebody sins against you or against me, our job is to do what? Forgive them. They come to you, you forgive them. Seven times, you've forgiven seven times, Jesus says. Now, seven times means not just seven times. That's God's number. It means it could be ten times. It could be fifteen times. It could be you don't, you don't cuss them out, you don't punch them in the face, you forgive them. Okay? Yes. Anyways. And by people, I mean your husbands. Anyways, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your gospel, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you, you love us. You die for us, Lord, that you brought this amazing salvation to us, Lord. And we pray that you may strengthen our hearts, Lord, that you may continue to give us faith, Lord. Like my wife says, if we lack faith, Lord, we pray for faith and you may give us more faith, Lord. And that as a church together, we may encourage one another uh, to keep ourselves in the love of God, Lord, and to keep ourselves in you, in Christ, abiding, uh, praying for one another and encouraging one another, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.